Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Section 2 of Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Anonymously translated. Section 2. At that time, the study I am now speaking of would have been well placed, the opportunity was good, and I had some temptation to profit by it, for the satisfaction I saw in the eyes of Annet when he came home loaded with new discovered plants set me two or three times on the point of going to herbalize with him and I am almost certain that had I gone once I should have been caught, and perhaps at this day might have been an excellent botanist, for I know no study more congenial to my natural inclination than that of plants. The life I have led for these ten years past in the country being little more than a continual herbalizing, though I must confess, without object and without improvement. But at the time I am now speaking of, I had no inclination for botany. Nay, I even despised and was disgusted at the idea, considering it only as a fit study for an apothecary. Madame de Varens was fond of it merely for this purpose, seeking none but common plants to use in her medical preparations. Thus botany, chemistry, and anatomy were confounded in my idea under the general denomination of medicine and served to furnish me with pleasant sarcasms the whole day which procured me from time to time a box on the ear applied by madame de varence besides this a very contrary taste grew up with me and by degrees absorbed all others this was music i was certainly born for that science i loved it from my infancy and it was the only inclination I have constantly adhered to. But it is astonishing that what nature seemed to have designed me for should have cost me so much pains to learn, and that I should acquire it so slowly, that after a whole life spent in the practice of this art, I could never attain to sing with any certainty at sight. What rendered the study of music more agreeable to me at that time was being able to practice it with Madame de Varence. 
in other respects our tastes were widely different this was a point of coincidence which i loved to avail myself of she had no more objection to this than myself i knew at that time almost as much of it as she did and after two or three efforts we could make shift to decipher an air sometimes when i saw her busy at the furnace i have said here now is a charming duet which seems made for the very purpose of spoiling your drugs her answer would be if you make me burn them i'll make you eat them thus disputing i drew her to the harpsichord the furnace was presently forgotten the extract of juniper or wormwood calcined which i cannot recollect without transport and these scenes usually ended by her smearing my face with the remains of them it may easily be conjectured that i had plenty of employment to fill up my leisure hours one amusement however found room that was well worth all the rest we lived in such a confined dungeon that it was necessary sometimes to breathe the open air Anet, therefore engaged madame de varens to hire a garden in the suburbs both for this purpose and the convenience of rearing plants etc to this garden was added a summer-house which was furnished in the customary manner we sometimes dined and i frequently slept there insensibly i became attached to this little retreat decorated it with books and prints spending part of my time in ornamenting it during the absence of madame de varens that i might surprise her the more agreeably on her return sometimes i quitted this dear friend that i might enjoy the uninterrupted pleasure of thinking on her this was a caprice i can neither excuse nor fully explain i only know this really was the case and therefore i avow it i remember madame de luxembourg told me one day in raillery of a man who used to leave his mistress that he might enjoy the satisfaction of writing to her i answered i could have been this man i might have added that i had done the very same i did not however find it necessary to leave madame de varens that i might love her the more ardently for i was ever as perfectly free with her as when alone an advantage i never enjoyed with any other person man or woman however i might be attached to them but she was so often surrounded by company who were far from pleasing me 
that spite and weariness drove me to this asylum where i could indulge the idea without danger of being interrupted by impertinence thus my time being divided between business pleasure and instruction my life passed in the most absolute serenity europe was not equally tranquil france and the emperor had mutually declared war the king of sardinia had entered into the quarrel and a french army had filed off into piedmont to awe the milanese our division passed through chambery and among others the regiment of champagne whose colonel was the duc de la tremouille to whom i was presented he promised many things but doubtless never more thought of me our little garden was exactly at the end of the suburb by which the troops entered so that i could fully satisfy my curiosity in seeing them pass and i became as anxious for the success of the war as if it had nearly concerned me till now i had never troubled myself about politics for the first time i began reading the gazettes but with so much partiality on the side of france that my heart beat with rapture on its most trifling advantages and i was as much afflicted on a reverse of fortune as if i had been particularly concerned had this folly been transient i should not perhaps have mentioned it but it took such root in my heart without any reasonable cause that when i afterwards acted the anti-despot and proud republican at paris in spite of myself i felt a secret predilection for the nation i declared servile and for that government i affected to oppose the pleasantest of all was that ashamed of an inclination so contrary to my professed maxims i dared not own it to any one but rallied the french on their defeats while my heart was more wounded than their own i am certainly the first man that living with a people who treated him well and whom he almost adored put on even in their own country a borrowed air of despising them yet my original inclination is so powerful constant disinterested and invincible that even since my quitting that kingdom since its government magistrates and authors have outvied each other in rancour against me since it has become fashionable to load me with injustice and abuse i have not been able to get rid of this folly but notwithstanding their ill-treatment love them in spite of myself 
i long sought the cause of this partiality but was never able to find any except in the occasion that gave it birth a rising taste for literature attached me to french books to their authors and their country at the very moment the french troops were passing chambery i was reading brantome's celebrated captains my head was full of the clissons bayards lautrecs colignys montmorencys and tremouilles and i loved their descendants as the heirs of their merit and courage in each regiment that passed by methought i saw those famous black bands who had formerly done so many noble exploits in piedmont in fine i applied to these all the ideas i had gathered from books my reading continued which still drawn from the same nation nourished my affection for that country till at length it became a blind passion which nothing could overcome i have had occasion to remark several times in the course of my travels that this impression was not peculiar to me for france but was more or less active in every country for that part of the nation who were fond of literature and cultivated learning and it was this consideration that balanced in my mind the general hatred which the conceited air of the french is so apt to inspire their romances more than their men attract the women of all countries and the celebrated dramatic pieces of france create a fondness in youth for their theatres the reputation which that of paris in particular has acquired draws to it crowds of strangers who return enthusiasts to their own country in short the excellence of their literature captivates the senses and in the unfortunate war just ended i have seen their authors and philosophers maintain the glory of france so tarnished by its warriors i was therefore an ardent frenchman this rendered me a politician and i attended in the public square amid a throng of newsmongers the arrival of the post and sillier than the ass in the fable was very uneasy to know whose pack-saddle i should next have the honour to carry for it was then supposed we should belong to france and that savoy would be exchanged for milan i must confess however that i experienced some uneasiness for had this war terminated unfortunately for the allies the pension of madame de varens would have been in a dangerous situation nevertheless i had great confidence in my good friends the french and for once in spite of the surprise of m de broglie 
my confidence was not ill-founded thanks to the king of sardinia whom i had never thought of while we were fighting in italy they were singing in france the operas of rameau began to make a noise there and once more raise the credit of his theoretic works which from their obscurity were within the compass of very few understandings by chance i heard of his treatise on harmony and had no rest till i purchased it by another chance i fell sick my illness was inflammatory short and violent but my convalescence was tedious for i was unable to go abroad for a whole month during this time i eagerly ran over my treatise on harmony but it was so long so diffuse and so badly disposed that i found it would require a considerable time to unravel it accordingly i suspended my inclination and recreated my sight with music the cantatas of bernier were what i principally exercised myself with these were never out of my mind i learned four or five by heart and among the rest the sleeping cupids which i have never seen since that time though i still retain it almost entirely as well as cupid stung by a bee a very pretty cantata by clerambeau which i learned about the same time to complete me there arrived a young organist from valdust called the abbe palais a good musician and an agreeable companion who performed very well on the harpsichord i got acquainted with him and we soon became inseparable he had been brought up by an italian monk who was a capital organist he explained to me his principles of music which i compared with rameau my head was filled with accompaniments concords and harmony but as it was necessary to accustom the ear to all this i proposed to madame de varence having a little concert once a month to which she consented end of section two recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section three of confessions volumes five and six this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes five and six by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated section three behold me then so full of this concert that night or day i could think of nothing else and it actually employed a great part of my time to select the music 
assemble the musicians look to the instruments and write out the several parts madame de varens sang father caton whom i have before mentioned and shall have occasion to speak of again sang likewise a dancing-master named roche and his son played on the violin canavas a piedmontese musician who was employed like myself in the survey and has since married at paris played on the violoncello the abbe palais performed on the harpsichord and i had the honour to conduct the whole it may be supposed all this was charming i cannot say it equalled my concert at monsieur de Tretorance, but certainly it was not far behind it this little concert given by madame de varens the new convert who lived it was expressed on the king's charity made the whole tribe of devotees murmur but it was a very agreeable amusement to several worthy people at the head of whom it would not be easily surmised that i should place a monk yet though a monk a man of considerable merit and even of a very amiable disposition whose subsequent misfortunes gave me the most lively concern and whose idea attached to that of my happy days is yet dear to my memory i speak of father caton a cordelier who in conjunction with the comte d'ortan had caused the music of poor le maitre to be seized at lyon which action was far from being the brightest trait in his history he was a bachelor of sorbonne had lived long in paris among the great world and was particularly caressed by the marquis d'entremont then ambassador from sardinia he was tall and well made full-faced with very fine eyes and black hair which formed natural curls on each side of his forehead his manner was at once noble open and modest he presented himself with ease and good manners having neither the hypocritical nor impudent behaviour of a monk nor the forward assurance of a fashionable coxcomb but the manners of a well-bred man who without blushing for his habit set a value on himself and ever felt in his proper situation when in good company though father caton was not deeply studied for a doctor he was much so for a man of the world and not being compelled to show his talents he brought them forward so advantageously that they appeared greater than they really were having lived much in the world he had rather attached himself to agreeable acquirements than to solid learning had sense made verses spoke well sang better 
and aided his good voice by playing on the organ and harpsichord so many pleasing qualities were not necessary to make his company sought after and accordingly it was very much so but this did not make him neglect the duties of his function he was chosen in spite of his jealous competitors definitor of his province or according to them one of the greatest pillars of their order father caton became acquainted with madame de varence at the marquis d'entremont's he had heard of her concerts wished to assist at them and by his company rendered our meetings truly agreeable we were soon attached to each other by our mutual taste for music which in both was a most lively passion with this difference that he was really a musician and myself a bungler sometimes assisted by canava and the abbe palais we had music in his apartment or on holidays at his organ and frequently dined with him for what was very astonishing in a monk he was generous profuse and loved good cheer without the least tincture of greediness after our concerts he always used to stay to supper and these evenings passed with the greatest gaiety and good humour we conversed with the utmost freedom and sang duets i was perfectly at my ease had sallies of wit and merriment father caton was charming madame de varence adorable and the abbe palais with his rough voice was the butt of the company pleasing moments of sportive youth how long since have ye fled as i shall have no more occasion to speak of poor father caton i will here conclude in a few words his melancholy history his brother monks jealous or rather exasperated to discover in him a merit and elegance of manners which favoured nothing of monastic stupidity conceived the most violent hatred to him because he was not as despicable as themselves the chiefs therefore combined against this worthy man and set on the envious rabble of monks who otherwise would not have dared to hazard the attack he received a thousand indignities they degraded him from his office took away the apartment which he had furnished with elegant simplicity and at length banished him i know not whither in short these wretches overwhelmed him with so many evils that his honest and proud soul sank under the pressure and after having been the delight of the most amiable societies he died of grief on a wretched bed hid in some cell or dungeon 
lamented by all worthy people of his acquaintance who could find no fault in him except his being a monk accustomed to this manner of life for some time i became so entirely attached to music that i could think of nothing else i went to my business with disgust the necessary confinement and assiduity appeared an insupportable punishment which i at length wished to relinquish that i might give myself up without reserve to my favourite amusement it will be readily believed that this folly met with some opposition to give up a creditable employment and fixed salary to run after uncertain scholars was too giddy a plan to be approved of by madame de varens and even supposing my future success should prove as great as i flattered myself it was fixing very humble limits to my ambition to think of reducing myself for life to the condition of a music-master she who formed for me the brightest projects and no longer trusted implicitly to the judgment of m d'aubonne seeing with concern that i was so seriously occupied with a talent which she thought frivolous frequently repeated to me that provincial proverb which does not hold quite so good in paris qui bien chante et bien danse fait un métier qui peut avance he who can sweetly sing and featly dance his interests right little shall advance on the other hand she saw me hurried away by this irresistible passion my taste for music having become a furore and it was much to be feared that my employment suffering by my distraction might draw on me a discharge which would be worse than a voluntary resignation i represented to her that this employment could not last long that it was necessary i should have some permanent means of subsistence and that it would be much better to complete by practice the acquisition of that art to which my inclination led me than to make fresh essays which possibly might not succeed since by this means having passed the age most proper for improvement i might be left without a single resource for gaining a livelihood in short i extorted her consent more by importunity and caresses than by any satisfactory reasons proud of my success i immediately ran to thank m coccelli director-general of the survey as though i had performed the most heroic action and quitted my employment without cause reason or pretext 
with as much pleasure as i had accepted it two years before this step ridiculous as it may appear procured me a kind of consideration which i found extremely useful some supposed i had resources which i did not possess others seeing me totally given up to music judged of my abilities by the sacrifice i had made and concluded that with such a passion for the art i must possess it in a superior degree in a nation of blind men those with one eye are kings i passed here for an excellent master because all the rest were very bad ones possessing taste in singing and being favoured by my age and figure i soon procured more scholars than were sufficient to compensate for the losses of my secretary's pay it is certain that had it been reasonable to consider the pleasure of my situation only it was impossible to pass more speedily from one extreme to the other at our measuring i was confined eight hours in the day to the most unentertaining employment with yet more disagreeable company shut up in a melancholy counting-house empoisoned by the smell and respiration of a number of clowns the major part of whom were ill-combed and very dirty what with attention bad air constraint and weariness i was sometimes so far overcome as to occasion a vertigo instead of this behold me admitted into the fashionable world sought after in the first houses and everywhere received with an air of satisfaction amiable and gay young ladies awaiting my arrival and welcoming me with pleasure i see nothing but charming objects smell nothing but roses and orange flowers singing chatting laughter and amusements perpetually succeed each other it must be allowed that reckoning all these advantages no hesitation was necessary in the choice in fact i was so content with mine that i never once repented it nor do i even now when free from the irrational motives that influenced me at that time i weigh in the scale of reason every action of my life end of section three recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section four of confessions volumes five and six this librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Martin Geeson. Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6 by Jean Jacques Rousseau. 
anonymously translated section four this is perhaps the only time that listening to inclination i was not deceived in my expectations the easy access obliging temper and free humour of this country rendered a commerce with the world agreeable and the inclination i then felt for it proves to me that if i have a dislike for society it is more their fault than mine it is a pity the savoyards are not rich though perhaps it would be a still greater pity if they were so for altogether they are the best the most sociable people that i know and if there is a little city in the world where the pleasures of life are experienced in an agreeable and friendly commerce it is at chambery the gentry of the province who assemble there have only sufficient wealth to live and not enough to spoil them they cannot give way to ambition but follow through necessity the counsel of cineas devoting their youth to a military employment and returning home to grow old in peace an arrangement over which honour and reason equally preside the women are handsome yet do not stand in need of beauty since they possess all those qualifications which enhance its value and even supply the want of it it is remarkable that being obliged by my profession to see a number of young girls i do not recollect one at chambery but what was charming it will be said i was disposed to find them so and perhaps there may be some truth in the surmise i cannot remember my young scholars without pleasure why in naming the most amiable cannot i recall them and myself also to that happy age in which our moments pleasing as innocent were passed with such happiness together the first was mademoiselle de melarede my neighbour and sister to a pupil of monsieur Guem. she was a fine clear brunette lively and graceful without giddiness thin as girls of that age usually are but her bright eyes fine shape and easy air rendered her sufficiently pleasing with that degree of plumpness which would have given a heightening to her charms i went there of mornings when she was usually in her deshabille her hair carelessly turned up and on my arrival ornamented with a flower which was taken off at my departure for her hair to be dressed there is nothing i fear so much as a pretty woman in an elegant deshabille i should dread them a hundred times less in full dress mademoiselle de menton whom i attended in the afternoon was ever so 
she made an equally pleasing but quite different impression on me her hair was flaxen her person delicate she was very timid and extremely fair had a clear voice capable of just modulation but which she had not courage to employ to its full extent she had the mark of a scald on her bosom which a scanty piece of blue chenille did not entirely cover this scar sometimes drew my attention though not absolutely on its own account mademoiselle de chales another of my neighbours was a woman grown tall well-formed jolly very pleasing though not a beauty and might be quoted for her gracefulness equal temper and good humour her sister madame de charly the handsomest woman of chambery did not learn music but i taught her daughter who was yet young but whose growing beauty promised to equal her mother's if she had not unfortunately been a little red-haired i had likewise among my scholars a little french lady whose name i have forgotten but who merits a place in my list of preferences she had adopted the slow drawling tone of the nuns in which voice she would utter some very keen things which did not in the least appear to correspond with her manner but she was indolent and could not generally take pains to show her wit that being a favour she did not grant to every one after a month or two of negligent attendance this was an expedient she devised to make me more assiduous for i could not easily persuade myself to be so when with my scholars i was fond enough of teaching but could not bear the idea of being obliged to attend at a particular hour constraint and subjection in every shape are to me insupportable and alone sufficient to make me hate even pleasure itself i had some scholars likewise among the tradespeople and among others one who was the indirect cause of a change of relationship which as i have promised to declare all i must relate in its place she was the daughter of a grocer and was called mademoiselle lard a perfect model for a grecian statue and whom i should quote for the handsomest girl i have ever seen if true beauty could exist without life or soul her indolence reserve and insensibility were inconceivable it was equally impossible to please or make her angry and i am convinced that had any one formed a design upon her virtue he might have succeeded not through her inclination but from her stupidity 
her mother who would run no risk of this did not leave her a single moment in having her taught to sing and providing a young master she had hoped to enliven her but it all proved ineffectual while the master was admiring the daughter the mother was admiring the master but this was equally lost labour madame lard added to her natural vivacity that portion of sprightliness which should have belonged to the daughter she was a little ugly lively trollop with small twinkling ferret eyes and marked with smallpox on my arrival in the morning i always found my coffee and cream ready and the mother never failed to welcome me with a kiss on the lips which i would willingly have returned the daughter to see how she would have received it all this was done with such an air of carelessness and simplicity that even when monsieur la was present her kisses and caresses were not omitted he was a good quiet fellow the true original of his daughter nor did his wife endeavour to deceive him because there was absolutely no occasion for it i received all these caresses with my usual stupidity taking them only for marks of pure friendship though they were sometimes troublesome for the lively madame lard was displeased if during the day i passed the shop without calling it became necessary therefore when i had no time to spare to go out of my way through another street well knowing it was not so easy to quit her house as to enter it madame lard thought so much of me that i could not avoid thinking something of her her attentions affected me greatly and i spoke of them to madame de varens without supposing any mystery in the matter but had there been one i should equally have divulged it for to have kept a secret of any kind from her would have been impossible my heart lay as open to madame de varens as to heaven she did not understand the matter quite so simply as i had done but saw advances where i only discovered friendship she concluded that madame lard would make a point of not leaving me as great a fool as she found me and some way or other contrive to make herself understood but exclusive of the consideration that it was not just that another should undertake the instruction of her pupil she had motives more worthy of her wishing to guard me against the snares to which my youth and inexperience exposed me meantime a more dangerous temptation offered which i likewise escaped 
but which proved to her that such a succession of dangers required every preservative she could possibly apply the comtesse de menton mother to one of my scholars was a woman of great wit and reckoned to possess at least an equal share of mischief having as was reported caused a number of quarrels and among others one that terminated fatally for the house of d'entremont madame de varence had seen enough of her to know her character for having very innocently pleased some person to whom madame de menton had pretensions she found her guilty of the crime of this preference though madame de varence had neither sought after nor accepted it and from that moment endeavoured to play her rival a number of ill turns none of which succeeded i shall relate one of the most whimsical by way of specimen they were together in the country with several gentlemen of the neighbourhood and among the rest the lover in question madame de menton took an opportunity to say to one of these gentlemen that madame de varence was a prude that she dressed ill and particularly that she covered her neck like a tradeswoman oh for that matter replied the person she was speaking to who was fond of a joke she has good reason for i know she is marked with a great ugly rat on her bosom so naturally that it even appears to be running hatred as well as love renders its votaries credulous madame de menton resolved to make use of this discovery and one day while madame de varence was at cards with this lady's ungrateful favourite she contrived in passing behind her rival almost to overset the chair she sat on and at the same instant very dexterously displaced her handkerchief but instead of this hideous rat the gentleman beheld a far different object which it was not more easy to forget than to obtain a sight of and which by no means answered the intentions of the lady i was not calculated to engross the attention of madame de menton who loved to be surrounded by brilliant company notwithstanding she bestowed some attention on me not for the sake of my person which she certainly did not regard but for the reputation of wit which i had acquired and which might have rendered me convenient to her predominant inclination she had a very lively passion for ridicule and loved to write songs and lampoons on those who displeased her had she found me possessed of sufficient talents to aid the fabrication of her verses 
and complaisance enough to do so we should presently have turned chambery upside down these libels would have been traced to their source madame de menton would have saved herself by sacrificing me and i should have been cooped up in prison perhaps for the rest of my life as a recompense for having figured away as the apollo of the ladies fortunately nothing of this kind happened madame de menton made me stay for dinner two or three days to chat with me and soon found i was too dull for her purpose i felt this myself and was humiliated at the discovery envying the talents of my friend venture though i should rather have been obliged to my stupidity for keeping me out of the reach of danger i remained therefore madame de menton's daughter's singing-master and nothing more but i lived happily and was ever well received at chambery which was a thousand times more desirable than passing for a wit with her and for a serpent with everybody else end of section four recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section five of confessions volumes five and six this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes five and six by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated section five however this might be madame de varens conceived it necessary to guard me from the perils of youth by treating me as a man this she immediately set about but in the most extraordinary manner that any woman in similar circumstances ever devised i all at once observed that her manner was graver and her discourse more moral than usual to the playful gaiety with which she used to intermingle her instructions suddenly succeeded an uniformity of manner neither familiar nor severe but which seemed to prepare me for some explanation after having vainly racked my brain for the reason of this change i mentioned it to her this she had expected and immediately proposed a walk to our garden the next day accordingly we went there the next morning she had contrived that we should remain alone the whole day which she employed in preparing me for those favours she meant to bestow not as another woman would have done by toying and folly but by discourses full of sentiment and reason rather tending to instruct than seduce 
and which spoke more to my heart than to my senses meantime however excellent and to the purpose these discourses might be and though far enough from coldness or melancholy i did not listen to them with all the attention they merited nor fix them in my memory as i should have done at any other time that air of preparation which she had adopted gave me a degree of inquietude while she spoke in spite of myself i was thoughtful and absent attending less to what she said than curious to know what she aimed at and no sooner had i comprehended her design which i could not easily do than the novelty of the idea which during all the years i had passed with her had never once entered my imagination took such entire possession of me that i was no longer capable of minding what she said i only thought of her i heard her no longer thinking to render young minds attentive to reason by proposing some highly interesting object as the result of it is an error instructors frequently run into and one which i have not avoided in my emile the young pupil struck with the object presented to him is occupied only with that and leaping lightly over your preliminary discourses lights at once on the point to which in his idea you lead him too tediously to render him attentive he must be prevented from seeing the whole of your design and in this particular madame de varence did not act with sufficient precaution by a singularity which adhered to her systematic disposition she took the vain precaution of proposing conditions but the moment i knew the purchase i no longer even heard them but immediately consented to everything and i doubt whether there is a man on the whole earth who would have been sincere or courageous enough to dispute terms or one single woman who would have pardoned such a dispute by a continuation of the same whimsicality she attached a number of the gravest formalities to the acquisition of her favours and gave me eight days to think of them which i assured her i had no need of though that assurance was far from a truth for to complete this assemblage of singularities i was very glad to have this intermission so much had the novelty of these ideas struck me and such disorder did i feel in mine that it required time to arrange them it will be supposed that these eight days appeared to me as many ages on the contrary i should have been very glad had the time been lengthened 
i find it difficult to describe the state i found myself in it was a strange chaos of fear and impatience dreading what i desired and studying some civil pretext to evade my happiness let the warmth of my constitution be remembered my age and my heart intoxicated with love let my tender attachment to her be supposed which far from having diminished had daily gained additional strength let it be considered that i was only happy when with her that my heart was full not only of her bounty of her amiable disposition but of her shape of her person of herself in a word conceive me united to her by every affinity that could possibly render her dear nor let it be supposed that being ten or twelve years older than myself she began to grow an old woman or was so in my opinion from the time the first sight of her had made such an impression on me she had really altered very little and in my mind not at all to me she was ever charming and was still thought so by every one she had got something jollier but had the same fine eyes the same clear complexion the same features the same beautiful light hair the same gaiety and even the same voice whose youthful and silvery sound made so lively an impression on my heart that even to this day i cannot hear a young woman's voice that is at all harmonious without emotion it will be seen that in a more advanced age the bare idea of some trifling favours i had to expect from the person i loved inflamed me so far that i could not support with any degree of patience the time necessary to traverse the short space that separated us how then by what miracle when in the flower of my youth had i so little impatience for a happiness i had never tasted but in idea how could i see the moment advancing with more pain than pleasure why instead of transports that should have intoxicated me with their deliciousness did i experience only fears and repugnance i have no doubt that if i could have avoided this happiness with any degree of decency i should have relinquished it with all my heart i have promised a number of extravagances in the history of my attachment to her this certainly is one that no idea could be formed of the reader already disgusted supposes that being in the situation i have before described with claudanet 
she was already degraded in my opinion by this participation of her favours and that a sentiment of disesteem weakened those she had before inspired me with but he is mistaken tis true that this participation gave me a cruel uneasiness as well from a very natural sentiment of delicacy as because it appeared unworthy both of her and myself but as to my sentiments for her they were still the same and i can solemnly aver that i never loved her more tenderly than when i felt so little propensity to avail myself of her condescension i was too well acquainted with the chastity of her heart and the iciness of her constitution to suppose a moment that the gratification of the senses had any influence over her i was well convinced that her only motive was to guard me from dangers which appeared otherwise inevitable by this extraordinary favour which she did not consider in the same light that women usually do as will presently be explained the habit of living a long time innocently together far from weakening the first sentiments i felt for her had contributed to strengthen them giving a more lively a more tender but at the same time a less sensual turn to my affection having ever accustomed myself to call her mamma as formerly observed and enjoying the familiarity of a son it became natural to consider myself as such and i am inclined to think that this was the true reason of that insensibility with a person i so tenderly loved for i can perfectly recollect that my emotions on first seeing her though not more lively were more voluptuous at annecy i was intoxicated at chambery i possessed my reason i always loved her as passionately as possible but i now loved her more for herself and less on my own account or at least i rather sought for happiness than pleasure in her company she was more to me than a sister a mother a friend or even than a mistress and for this very reason she was not a mistress in a word i loved her too much to desire her this day more dreaded than hoped for at length arrived i have before observed that i promised everything that was required of me and i kept my word my heart confirmed my engagements without desiring the fruits though at length i obtained them was i happy no i felt i know not what invincible sadness which empoisoned my happiness 
it seemed that i had committed an incest and two or three times pressing her eagerly in my arms i deluged her bosom with my tears on her part as she had never sought pleasure she had not the stings of remorse i repeat it all her failings were the effect of her errors never of her passions she was well born her heart was pure her manners noble her desires regular and virtuous her taste delicate she seemed formed for that elegant purity of manners which she ever loved but never practised because instead of listening to the dictates of her heart she followed those of her reason which led her astray for when once corrupted by false principles it will ever run counter to its natural sentiments unhappily she piqued herself on philosophy and the morals she drew from thence clouded the genuine purity of her heart monsieur tavel her first lover was also her instructor in this philosophy and the principles he instilled into her mind were such as tended to seduce her finding her cold and impregnable on the side of her passions and firmly attached to her husband and her duty he attacked her by sophisms endeavouring to prove that the list of duties she thought so sacred was but a sort of catechism fit only for children that the kind of infidelity she thought so terrible was in itself absolutely indifferent that all the morality of conjugal faith consisted in opinion the contentment of husbands being the only reasonable rule of duty in wives consequently that concealed infidelities doing no injury could be no crime in a word he persuaded her that the sin consisted only in the scandal that woman being really virtuous who took care to appear so thus the deceiver obtained his end in the subverting the reason of a girl whose heart he found it impossible to corrupt and received his punishment in a devouring jealousy being persuaded she would treat him as he had prevailed on her to treat her husband i don't know whether he was mistaken in this respect the minister perret passed for his successor all i know is that the coldness of temperament which it might have been supposed would have kept her from embracing this system in the end prevented her from renouncing it she could not conceive how so much importance should be given to what seemed to have none for her nor could she honour with the name of virtue 
an abstinence which would have cost her little she did not therefore give in to this false principle on her own account but for the sake of others and that from another maxim almost as false as the former but more consonant to the generosity of her disposition she was persuaded that nothing could attach a man so truly to any woman as an unbounded freedom and though she was only susceptible of friendship this friendship was so tender that she made use of every means which depended on her to secure the objects of it and which is very extraordinary almost always succeeded for she was so truly amiable that an increase of intimacy was sure to discover additional reasons to love and respect her another thing worthy of remark is that after her first folly she only favoured the unfortunate lovers in a more brilliant station lost their labour with her but the man who at first attracted her pity must have possessed very few good qualities if in the end he did not obtain her affection even when she made an unworthy choice far from proceeding from base inclinations which were strangers to her noble heart it was the effect of a disposition too generous humane compassionate and sensible which she did not always govern with sufficient discernment end of section 5 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section six of confessions volumes five and six this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes five and six by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated section six if some false principles misled her how many admirable ones did she not possess which never forsook her by how many virtues did she atone for her failings if we can call by that name errors in which the senses had so little share the man who in one particular deceived her so completely had given her excellent instructions in a thousand others and her passions being far from turbulent permitted her to follow the dictates she ever acted wisely when her sophisms did not intervene and her designs were laudable even in her failings false principles might lead her to do ill but she never did anything which she conceived to be wrong she abhorred lying and duplicity was just equitable humane 
disinterested true to her word her friends and those duties which she conceived to be such incapable of hatred or revenge and not even conceiving that there was a merit in pardoning in fine to return to those qualities which were less excusable though she did not properly value she never made a vile commerce of her favours she lavished but never sold them though continually reduced to expedients for a subsistence and i dare assert that if socrates could esteem aspasia he would have respected madame de varens i am well aware that ascribing sensibility of heart with coldness of temperament to the same person i shall generally and with great appearance of reason be accused of a contradiction perhaps nature sported or blundered and this combination ought not to have existed i only know it did exist all those who know madame de varens a great number of whom are yet living have had opportunities of knowing this was a fact i dare even aver she had but one pleasure in the world which was serving those she loved let every one argue on the point as he pleases and gravely prove that this cannot be my business is to declare the truth and not to enforce a belief of it i became acquainted with the particulars i have just related in those conversations which succeeded our union and alone rendered it delicious she was right when she concluded her complaisance would be useful to me i derived great advantages from it in point of useful instruction hitherto she had used me as a child she now began to treat me as a man and entertain me with accounts of herself everything she said was so interesting and i was so sensibly touched with it that reasoning with myself i applied these confidential relations to my own improvement and received more instruction from them than from her teaching when we truly feel that the heart speaks our own opens to receive its instructions nor can all the pompous morality of a pedagogue have half the effect that is produced by the tender affectionate and artless conversation of a sensible woman on him who loves her the intimacy in which i lived with madame de varens having placed me more advantageously in her opinion than formerly she began to think notwithstanding my awkward manner that i deserved cultivation for the polite world and that if i could one day show myself there in an eligible situation i should soon be able to make my way 
in consequence of this idea she set about forming not only my judgment but my address endeavouring to render me amiable as well as estimable and if it is true that success in this world is consistent with strict virtue which for my part i do not believe i am certain there is no other road than that she had taken and wished to point out to me for madame de varens knew mankind and understood exquisitely well the art of treating all ranks without falsehood and without imprudence neither deceiving nor provoking them but this art was rather in her disposition than her precepts she knew better how to practise than explain it and i was of all the world the least calculated to become master of such an attainment accordingly the means employed for this purpose were nearly lost labour as well as the pains she took to procure me a fencing and a dancing master though very well made i could never learn to dance a minuet for being plagued with corns i had acquired a habit of walking on my heels which roche the dancing-master could never break me of it was still worse at the fencing-school where after three months practice i made but very little progress and could never attempt fencing with any but my master my wrist was not supple enough nor my arm sufficiently firm to retain the foil whenever he chose to make it fly out of my hand add to this i had a mortal aversion both to the art itself and to the person who undertook to teach it to me nor should i ever have imagined that any one could have been so proud of the science of sending men out of the world to bring this vast genius within the compass of my comprehension he explained himself by comparisons drawn from music which he understood nothing of he found striking analogies between a hit in carte or tierce with the intervals of music which bear those names when he made a feint he cried out take care of this diesis because anciently they called the diesis a feint and when he had made the foil fly from my hand he would add with a sneer that this was a pause in a word i never in my life saw a more insupportable pedant i made therefore but little progress in my exercises which i presently quitted from pure disgust but i succeeded better in an art of a thousand times more value namely that of being content with my situation and not desiring one more brilliant 
for which i began to be persuaded that nature had not designed me given up to the endeavour of rendering madame de varens happy i was ever best pleased when in her company and notwithstanding my fondness for music began to grudge the time i employed in giving lessons to my scholars i am ignorant whether annet perceived the full extent of our union but i am inclined to think he was no stranger to it he was a young man of great penetration and still greater discretion who never belied his sentiments but did not always speak them without giving me the least hint that he was acquainted with our intimacy he appeared by his conduct to be so nor did this moderation proceed from baseness of soul but having entered entirely into the principles of his mistress he could not reasonably disapprove of the natural consequences of them though as young as herself he was so grave and thoughtful that he looked on us as two children who required indulgence and we regarded him as a respectable man whose esteem we had to preserve it was not until after she was unfaithful to annet that i learned the strength of her attachment to him she was fully sensible that i only thought felt or lived for her she let me see therefore how much she loved annet that i might love him likewise and dwell less on her friendship than on her esteem for him because this was the sentiment that i could most fully partake of how often has she affected our hearts and made us embrace with tears by assuring us that we were both necessary to her happiness let not women read this with an ill-natured smile with the temperament she possessed this necessity was not equivocal it was only that of the heart thus there was established among us three a union without example perhaps on the face of the earth all our wishes our cares our very hearts were for each other and absolutely confined to this little circle the habit of living together and living exclusively from the rest of the world became so strong that if at our repasts one of the three was wanting or a fourth person came in everything seemed deranged and notwithstanding our particular attachments even our tete-a-tete were less agreeable than our reunion what banished every species of constraint from our little community was a lively reciprocal confidence and dullness or insipidity could find no place among us because we were always fully employed 
madame de varens always projecting always busy left us no time for idleness though indeed we had each sufficient employment on our own account it is my maxim that idleness is as much the pest of society as of solitude nothing more contracts the mind or engenders more tales mischief gossiping and lies than for people to be eternally shut up in the same apartment together and reduced from the want of employment to the necessity of an incessant chat when every one is busy unless you have really something to say you may continue silent but if you have nothing to do you must absolutely speak continually and this in my mind is the most burdensome and the most dangerous constraint i will go further and maintain that to render company harmless as well as agreeable it is necessary not only that they should have something to do but something that requires a degree of attention knitting for instance is absolutely as bad as doing nothing you must take as much pains to amuse a woman whose fingers are thus employed as if she sat with her arms crossed but let her embroider and it is a different matter she is then so far busied that a few intervals of silence may be borne with what is most disgusting and ridiculous during these intermissions of conversation is to see perhaps a dozen overgrown fellows get up sit down again walk backwards and forwards turn on their heels play with the chimney ornaments and rack their brains to maintain an inexhaustible chain of words what a charming occupation such people wherever they go must be troublesome both to others and themselves when i was at moutier i used to employ myself in making laces with my neighbours and were i again to mix with the world i would always carry a cup and ball in my pocket i should sometimes play with it the whole day that i might not be constrained to speak when i had nothing to discourse about and i am persuaded that if every one would do the same mankind would be less mischievous their company would become more rational and in my opinion a vast deal more agreeable in a word let wits laugh if they please but i maintain that the only practical lesson of morality within the reach of the present age is that of the cup and ball End of section six. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.
Section 7 of Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6 by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Anonymously translated. Section 7. At Chambéry they did not give us the trouble of studying expedients to avoid weariness when by ourselves, for a troop of important visitors gave us too much by their company to feel any when alone. The annoyance they formerly gave me had not diminished all the difference was that i now found less opportunity to abandon myself to my dissatisfaction poor madame de varens had not lost her old predilection for schemes and systems on the contrary the more she felt the pressure of her domestic necessities the more she endeavoured to extricate herself from them by visionary projects and in proportion to the decrease of her present resources she contrived to enlarge in idea those of the future increase of years only strengthened this folly as she lost her relish for the pleasures of the world and youth she replaced it by an additional fondness for secrets and projects her house was never clear of quacks contrivers of new manufactures alchemists projects of all kinds and of all descriptions whose discourses began by a distribution of millions and concluded by giving you to understand that they were in want of a crown piece no one went from her empty-handed and what astonished me most was how she could so long support such profusion without exhausting the source or wearying her creditors her principal project at the time i am now speaking of was that of establishing a royal physic garden at chambery with a demonstrator attached to it it will be unnecessary to add for whom this office was designed the situation of this city in the midst of the alps was extremely favourable to botany and as madame de varens was always for helping out one project with another a college of pharmacy was to be added which really would have been a very useful foundation in so poor a country where apothecaries are almost the only medical practitioners the retreat of the chief physician grossi to chambery on the demise of king victor seemed to favour this idea or perhaps first suggest it however this may be by flattery and attention she set about managing grossi who in fact was not very manageable being the most caustic and brutal for a man who had any pretensions to the quality of a gentleman 
that ever i knew the reader may judge for himself by two or three traits of character which i shall add by way of specimen he assisted one day at a consultation with some other doctors and among the rest a young gentleman from annecy who was physician in ordinary to the sick person this young man being but indifferently taught for a doctor was bold enough to differ in opinion from m grossi who only answered him by asking him when he should return which way he meant to take and what conveyance he should make use of the other having satisfied grossi in these particulars asked him if there was anything he could serve him in nothing nothing answered he only i shall place myself at a window in your way that i may have the pleasure of seeing an ass ride on horseback his avarice equalled his riches and want of feeling one of his friends wanted to borrow some money of him on good security my friend answered he shaking him by the arm and grinding his teeth should st peter descend from heaven to borrow ten pistoles of me and offer the trinity as securities i would not lend them one day being invited to dinner with comte piquant governor of savoy who was very religious he arrived before it was ready and found his excellency busy with his devotions who proposed to him the same employment not knowing how to refuse he knelt down with a frightful grimace but had hardly recited two ave marias when not being able to contain himself any longer he rose hastily snatched his hat and cane and without speaking a word was making towards the door comte piquant ran after him crying monsieur grossi monsieur grossi stop there's a most excellent ortolan on the spit for you monsieur le comte replied the other turning his head though you should give me a roasted angel i would not stay such was monsieur grossi whom madame de varens undertook and succeeded in civilizing though his time was very much occupied he accustomed himself to come frequently to her house conceived a friendship for annet seemed to think him intelligent spoke of him with esteem and what would not have been expected of such a brute affected to treat him with respect wishing to efface the impressions of the past for though annet was no longer on the footing of a domestic it was known that he had been one and nothing less than the countenance and example of the chief physician was necessary to set an example of respect which would not otherwise have been paid him 
thus claudanet with a black coat a well-dressed wig a grave decent behaviour a circumspect conduct and a tolerable knowledge in medical and botanical matters might reasonably have hoped to fill with universal satisfaction the place of public demonstrator had the proposed establishment taken place grossi highly approved the plan and only waited an opportunity to propose it to the administration whenever a return of peace should permit them to think of useful institutions and enable them to spare the necessary pecuniary supplies but this project whose execution would probably have plunged me into botanical studies for which i am inclined to think nature designed me failed through one of those unexpected strokes which frequently overthrow the best concerted plans i was destined to become an example of human misery and it might be said that providence who called me by degrees to these extraordinary trials disconcerted every opportunity that could prevent my encountering them in an excursion which annet made to the top of the mountain to seek for genipe a scarce plant that grows only on the alps and which m grossi had occasion for unfortunately he heated himself so much that he was seized with a pleurisy which the genipe could not relieve though said to be specific in that disorder and notwithstanding all the art of grossi who certainly was very skilful and all the care of his good mistress and myself he died the fifth day of his disorder in the most cruel agonies during his illness he had no exhortations but mine bestowed with such transports of grief and zeal that had he been in a state to understand them they must have been some consolation to him thus i lost the firmest friend i ever had a man estimable and extraordinary in whom nature supplied the defects of education and who though in a state of servitude possessed all the virtues necessary to form a great man which perhaps he would have shown himself and been acknowledged had he lived to fill the situation he seemed so perfectly adapted to the next day i spoke of him to madame de varence with the most sincere and lively affection when suddenly in the midst of our conversation the vile ungrateful thought occurred that i should inherit his wardrobe and particularly a handsome black coat which i thought very becoming 
as i thought this i consequently uttered it for when with her to think and to speak was the same thing nothing could have made her feel more forcibly the loss she had sustained than this unworthy and odious observation disinterestedness and greatness of soul being qualities that poor annet had eminently possessed the generous madame de varens turned from me and without any reply burst into tears dear and precious tears your reprehension was fully felt ye ran into my very heart washing from thence even the smallest traces of such despicable and unworthy sentiments never to return this loss caused madame de varens as much inconvenience as sorrow since from this moment her affairs were still more deranged annet was extremely exact and kept everything in order his vigilance was universally feared and this set some bounds to that profusion they were too apt to run into even madame de varens to avoid his censure kept her dissipation within bounds his attachment was not sufficient she wished to preserve his esteem and avoid the just remonstrances he sometimes took the liberty to make her by representing that she squandered the property of others as well as her own i thought as he did nay i even sometimes expressed myself to the same effect but had not an equal ascendancy over her and my advice did not make the same impression on his decease i was obliged to occupy his place for which i had as little inclination as abilities and therefore filled it ill i was not sufficiently careful and so very timid that though i frequently found fault to myself i saw ill-management without taking courage to oppose it besides though i acquired an equal share of respect i had not the same authority i saw the disorder that prevailed trembled at it sometimes complained but was never attended to i was too young and lively to have any pretensions to the exercise of reason and when i would have acted the reformer madame de varens calling me her little mentor with two or three playful slaps on the cheek reduced me to my natural thoughtlessness notwithstanding an idea of the certain distress in which her ill-regulated expenses sooner or later must necessarily plunge her made a stronger impression on me since i had become the inspector of her household and had a better opportunity of 
calculating the inequality that subsisted between her income and her expenses i even date from this period the beginning of that inclination to avarice which i have ever since been sensible of i was never foolishly prodigal except by intervals but till then i was never concerned whether i had much or little money i now began to pay more attention to this circumstance taking care of my purse and becoming mean from a laudable motive for i only sought to ensure madame de varens some resources against that catastrophe which i dreaded the approach of i feared her creditors would seize her pension or that it might be discontinued and she reduced to want when i foolishly imagined that the trifle i could save might be of essential service to her but to accomplish this it was necessary i should conceal what i meant to make a reserve of for it would have been an awkward circumstance while she was perpetually driven to expedients to have her know that i hoarded money accordingly i sought out some hiding-place where i laid up a few louis resolving to augment this stock from time to time till a convenient opportunity to lay it at her feet but i was so incautious in the choice of my repositories that she always discovered them and to convince me that she did so changed the louis i had concealed for a larger sum in different pieces of coin ashamed of these discoveries i brought back to the common purse my little treasure which she never failed to lay out in clothes or other things for my use such as a silver-hilted sword watch etc being convinced that i should never succeed in accumulating money and that what i could save would furnish but a very slender resource against the misfortune i dreaded made me wish to place myself in such a situation that i might be enabled to provide for her whenever she might chance to be reduced to want unhappily seeking these resources on the side of my inclinations i foolishly determined to consider music as my principal dependence and ideas of harmony rising in my brain i imagined that if placed in a proper situation to profit by them i should acquire celebrity and presently become a modern orpheus whose mystic sounds would attract all the riches of peru as i began to read music tolerably well the question was how should i learn composition the difficulty lay in meeting with a good master 
for with the assistance of my rameau alone i despaired of ever being able to accomplish it and since the departure of monsieur le maitre there was nobody in savoy who understood anything of the principles of harmony End of section seven. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section eight of Confessions, volumes five and six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen confessions volumes five and six by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section eight i am now about to relate another of those inconsequences which my life is full of and which have so frequently carried me directly from my designs even when i thought myself immediately within reach of them venture had spoken to me in very high terms of the abbe blanchard who had taught him composition a deserving man possessed of great talents who was music-master to the cathedral at besançon and is now in that capacity at the chapel of versailles i therefore determined to go to besançon and take some lessons from the abbe blanchard and the idea appeared so rational to me that i soon made madame de varance of the same opinion who immediately set about the preparations for my journey in the same style of profusion with which all her plans were executed thus this project for preventing a bankruptcy and repairing in future the waste of dissipation began by causing her to expend eight hundred livres her ruin being accelerated that i might be put in a condition to prevent it foolish as this conduct may appear the illusion was complete on my part and even on hers for i was persuaded i should labour for her emolument and she thought she was highly promoting mine i expected to find venture still at annecy and promised myself to obtain a recommendatory letter from him to the abbe blanchard but he had left that place and i was obliged to content myself in the room of it with a mass in four parts of his composition which he had left with me with this slender recommendation i set out for besançon by way of geneva where i saw my relations and through nyon where i saw my father who received me in his usual manner and promised to forward my portmanteau which as i travelled on horseback came after me i arrived at besançon and was kindly received by the abbe blanchard who promised me his instruction 
and offered his services in any other particular we had just set about our music when i received a letter from my father informing me that my portmanteau had been seized and confiscated at rousse a french barrier on the side of switzerland alarmed at the news i employed the acquaintance i had formed at besancon to learn the motive of this confiscation being certain there was nothing contraband among my baggage i could not conceive on what pretext it could have been seized on at length however i learned the rights of the story which as it is a very curious one must not be omitted i became acquainted at chambery with a very worthy old man from lyon named m duvivier who had been employed at the visa under the regency and for want of other business now assisted at the survey he had lived in the polite world possessed talents was good-humoured and understood music as we both wrote in the same chamber we preferred each other's acquaintance to that of the unlicked cubs that surrounded us he had some correspondents at paris who furnished him with those little nothings those daily novelties which circulate one knows not why and die one cares not when without any one thinking of them longer than they are heard as i sometimes took him to dine with madame de varens he in some measure treated me with respect and wishing to render himself agreeable endeavoured to make me fond of these trifles for which i naturally had such a distaste that i never in my life read any of them unhappily one of these cursed papers happened to be in the waistcoat pocket of a new suit which i had only worn two or three times to prevent its being seized by the commissioners of the customs this paper contained an insipid jansenist parody on that beautiful scene in racine's mithridates i had not read ten lines of it but by forgetfulness left it in my pocket and this caused all my necessaries to be confiscated the commissioners at the head of the inventory of my portmanteau set a most pompous verbal process in which it was taken for granted that this most terrible writing came from geneva for the sole purpose of being printed and distributed in france and then ran into holy invectives against the enemies of god and the church and praised the pious vigilance of those who had prevented the execution of these most infernal machinations they doubtless found also that my shirts smelt of heresy for on the strength of this dreadful paper they were all seized and from that time i never received any account of my unfortunate portmanteau 
the revenue officers whom i applied to for this purpose required so many instructions informations certificates memorials etc etc that lost a thousand times in the perplexing labyrinth i was glad to abandon them entirely i feel a real regret for not having preserved this verbal process from the office of rousse for it was a piece calculated to hold a distinguished rank in the collection which is to accompany this work the loss of my necessities immediately brought me back to chambery without having learned anything of the abbe blanchard reasoning with myself on the events of this journey and seeing that misfortunes attended all my enterprises i resolved to attach myself entirely to madame de varence to share her fortune and distress myself no longer about future events which i could not regulate she received me as if i had brought back treasures replaced by degrees my little wardrobe and though this misfortune fell heavy enough on us both it was forgotten almost as suddenly as it arrived though this mischance had rather dampened my musical ardour i did not leave off studying my rameau and by repeated efforts was at length able to understand it and to make some little attempts at composition the success of which encouraged me to proceed the comte de bellegarde son of the marquis d'entremont had returned from dresden after the death of king augustus having long resided at paris he was fond of music and particularly that of rameau his brother the comte de nangis played on the violin the comtesse de latour their sister sung tolerably this rendered music the fashion at chambery and a kind of public concert was established there the direction of which was at first designed for me but they soon discovered i was not competent to the undertaking and it was otherwise arranged notwithstanding this i continued writing a number of little pieces in my own way and among others a cantata which gained great approbation it could not indeed be called a finished piece but the airs were written in a style of novelty and produced a good effect which was not expected from me these gentlemen could not believe that reading music so indifferently it was possible i should compose any that was passable and made no doubt that i had taken to myself the credit of some other person's labours m de nangis wishing to be assured of this 
called on me one morning with a cantata of clerambault's which he had transposed as he said to suit his voice and to which another bass was necessary the transposition having rendered that of clerambault impracticable i answered it required considerable labour and could not be done on the spot being convinced i only sought an excuse he pressed me to write at least the bass to a recitative i did so not well doubtless because to attempt anything with success i must have both time and freedom but i did it at least according to rule and he being present could not doubt but i understood the elements of composition i did not therefore lose my scholars though it hurt my pride that there should be a concert at chambery in which i was not necessary about this time peace being concluded the french army repassed the alps several officers came to visit madame de varens and among others the comte de lautrec colonel of the regiment of orleans since plenipotentiary of geneva and afterwards marshal of france to whom she presented me on her recommendation he appeared to interest himself greatly in my behalf promising a great deal which he never remembered till the last year of his life when i no longer stood in need of his assistance the young marquis de senectaire whose father was then ambassador at turin passed through chambery at the same time and dined one day at monsieur de menton's when i happened to be among the guests after dinner the discourse turned on music which the marquis understood extremely well the opera of jephthah was then new he mentioned this piece it was brought him and he made me tremble by proposing to execute it between us he opened the book at that celebrated double chorus la terre l'enfer le ciel même tout tremble devant le seigneur the earth and hell and heaven itself tremble before the lord he said how many parts will you take i will do these six i had not yet been accustomed to this tray of french vivacity and though acquainted with divisions could not comprehend how one man could undertake to perform six or even two parts at the same time nothing has cost me more trouble in music than to skip lightly from one part to another and have the eye at once on a whole division by the manner in which i evaded this trial he must have been inclined to believe i did not understand music and perhaps it was to satisfy himself in this particular 
that he proposed my noting a song for mademoiselle de monton in such a manner that i could not avoid it he sang this song and i wrote it from his voice without giving him much trouble to repeat it when finished he read my performance and said which was very true that it was very correctly noted he had observed my embarrassment and now seemed to enhance the merit of this little success in reality i then understood music very well and only wanted that quickness at first sight which i possess in no one particular and which is only to be acquired in this art by long and constant practice be that as it may i was fully sensible of his kindness in endeavouring to efface from the minds of others and even from my own the embarrassment i had experienced on this occasion twelve or fifteen years afterwards meeting this gentleman at several houses in paris i was tempted to make him recollect this anecdote and show him i still remembered it but he had lost his sight since that time i feared to give him pain by recalling to his memory how useful it formerly had been to him and was therefore silent on that subject End of section eight. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.